In this series, we've been looking at uh, stories in the Bible of men and women who needed a do-over and um, found themselves in those situations where they needed the grace that only Jesus could give. And, uh, and as we're starting this morning, I want to I throw out a question to you, a question I've been thinking about a little bit over the last couple weeks in preparation for this morning. And so the question I want to throw out to you is this. Have you had moments in your life where you felt unqualified? Have you had moments in your life where you felt unqualified? Maybe you felt unqualified to be in the job that you're in. How many of us as parents have felt unqualified for the job of parenting? Have you felt unqualified maybe to, to serve in a ministry when you hear an invitation you know, from up here on a Sunday to jump into a small group, lead a small group, serve kids ministry, invest in students? Have you just simply felt unqualified to do that? Have you even felt unqualified to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus? I thought... Like I said, over, over the last couple of weeks, thinking about this question. And, I, and for me, I thought about all those moments and those situations that I've had over the years where I've felt that. The earliest memory that I have, and I'm sure there were some before this, was my freshman year of high school. So freshman year of high school, I decided to go out for the JV basketball team, and I actually made the team. And there were only about, I think, three or four freshmen that made the team that year. So you would think that that would be a good thing. The problem is I never played. Like all season long, I think I played literally five minutes the entire season. I was the 12th man. I barely made the team by the skin of my teeth. I never hardly sniffed the court all year long. And the only time that I got in the game was when either we were up by 30 or we were down by 30. And the coaches said, there's no way that Todd could screw this game up. And that was it. And the low point for me that season was toward the end of the year. We're getting destroyed in this game. I'm sitting at the end of the bench. Game's almost over. And the ball dribbles out of bounds with six seconds left. Not in the first quarter. Six seconds left in the game. And the coach looks down at the end of the bench to me and he says, Hampton, you're in. Coach, what am I going to do in six seconds? Are you kidding me right now? Like, are you trying to insult me in this moment? I mean, that's all those things that are going through my head. I'm a little bit ticked, but I'm 14 years old. So I, you know, walk onto the court and there's like two or three half-hearted people cheering, one of which is my mom. (laughs) It was humiliating. All my friends after like, hey man, way to get in the game. You were awesome. You know. By the time the ball got thrown in bounds, the game was over. That was it. And it was that moment and that season was just a season where I felt, man, I'm I'm totally unqualified. Why am I even on this team? I think in some ways that translated over into my walk with Jesus. And I started asking a lot of those questions, feeling a lot of those things. God, can you really use me? God, isn't there someone else who could do a better job? God, do I really have what it takes? I'm going to be honest. I felt a lot of those same things when my family and I moved here almost six years ago. God, this is a bigger ministry than I've ever led before. God, I don't want to mess this thing up. Are you sure that I can handle this? 
And I for sure have felt unqualified to be on this stage. Maybe some of you will agree with me by the time we're done. I mean, I've, I've had those moments. I've felt unqualified. But there was something that I heard in high school that has stuck with me all of those moments when I felt unqualified. It was something that my high school pastor, Brian Bloy, once said to us. Maybe you've heard of him. He said, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Now, that quote is fancy, and it looks good on an Instagram post, and you know, it can fit into 140 characters on Twitter, and you'll get a lot of likes and things because of that. But I remember how much that stuck with me, in high school especially, in all those moments where I felt like I was in over my head. I think the reality is we've, we've all had moments and situations where we felt unqualified. And the truth is, is it can paralyze us in our relationship with Jesus. There are sometimes there are mistakes that we make where we feel unqualified to do what this series is all about, to start again. Maybe for some of you this morning, starting again isn't the issue because the reality is you've never started to begin with. Those feelings of being unqualified have, have caused you to question whether or not you can follow Jesus in the first place or whether you can really accomplish the things that God wants you to accomplish. And so you've sat on the sidelines the entire time. I think in moments or seasons where we feel that, we can get so much encouragement from people in the Bible. Because there are so many stories of people who were completely unqualified to do what God wanted. When Jesus is going out and he's looking for those 12 men that he's going to use to help shape the world, he doesn't go about it the way that you and I would. Because we think all about who's the most qualified. If you and I are going to have open heart surgery, we're going to find the most qualified heart surgeon we can find. If we're trying to hire an important position in the company, we're going to find the most qualified candidate that's out there. And if you and I feel like we've got a message that could change the world, we're going to seek out the most qualified people that we can find. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't walk into the synagogues and and pick out Israel's finest. In fact, Jesus puts together this kind of ragtag group of misfits, of outcasts, of rejects. He puts together probably the most unqualified people he could find. And at the center of it, the leader of these lovable losers, and probably the most unqualified of them all, is a guy named Peter. Now, Peter's a whole lot different than some of these other people that we've looked at as part of this series. Zacchaeus is a wee little man who had a wee little story in the Gospel of Luke. The story of Lazarus being raised from the dead is an awesome story, but we don't know much about him after that. We looked at the powerful story of the woman at the well, but we, she disappears after that. Ditto for Bartimaeus. But Peter's different. Peter's a key figure in the gospel and in the book of Acts. We read about in Acts chapter 2 how he stands up and he preached the gospel for the first time. 
after Jesus rose and there were 3,000 people who were saved that day. He stood with boldness and with courage before the religious leaders as he shared the gospel with them when they were trying to get him to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 5 tells us that people were just trying to get into the shadow of Peter in order for them to be healed. In Acts chapter 9, we read about how he raised a lady from the dead. He wrote two books of the New Testament, and he is one of the most important people in the history of the church. But that wasn't how Peter's time with Jesus began. The truth is, he was completely untrained. He had no business being a follower of Jesus, much less being the leader of the followers and being a part of Jesus' inner circle. He had a big mouth and he was always saying things without thinking. He was always saying or acting first before thinking and it always got him in a lot of trouble. At one point, Jesus actually goes to the extent of calling him Satan because he looked at, at Jesus and told him that he wasn't going to die. All right, if the guy that you're following is looking at you calling you Satan, that's not a good moment. But that's a moment that, G, that Peter had. Granted, he was the first one that got out of the boat and he walked on water. But then he ends up humiliated because Jesus had to reach out and save him and then he called his faith little. It always seemed like it was one thing after another, one mistake after another with Peter. And I'm sure there were so many people that looked at this situation and went, Jesus, there's no way that you're going to accomplish anything with that guy. And that's before we've even talked about the most unforgivable, the most unqualified moment that Peter had. And it happened on the night before Jesus went to the cross. In Luke chapter 22, if you have your Bibles this morning, you can go ahead and open up there. But Jesus and the disciples, they're hanging out and they're having the last supper. And then that takes place. Starting in verse 31. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, talking to Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Now Peter is on the verge of making the biggest mistake in his life. And he doesn't even know it. He's making these grand promises to Jesus about how he's willing to die for him. But Jesus knows what's about to happen. And he tells Peter that he's about to turn his back on the person he spent the last three years following after and I'm sure Peter's in, indignant almost. Jesus, you're lying right now. There's no way that I'm going to do that. 
They finish the conversation, they finish the meal, they get up and they leave and they head off to the garden. And Jesus turns to Peter and the disciples and asks them to pray. He's overcome with grief and he needs the disciples to be on guard, to have his back. And so what do they do? They fall asleep. Not just one time, but they fall multiple times. Nice going, Peter. Good job, buddy. Way to have your Savior's back. That's a good job. Proud of you. Another proud moment for Peter. And finally, Jesus is just frustrated and says, hey, let's go. And at that time, the religious leaders led by Judas, they come and they arrest him and they take him away. But not before Peter, in a moment of courage or whatever, takes his sword out and he starts hacking away and he cuts the, the ear off of one of the servants. It's a courageous moment, but not exactly what Jesus had in mind. But things are about to get a whole lot worse. In verse 54 of chapter 22, it says, So they arrested him and they led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat around it and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and she began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. But an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them, because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Some gospel accounts even said Peter cursed at the man. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. I can't imagine all of the range of emotions that Peter probably felt on this night. Going from making these great claims to Jesus to then just being fearful for his own life. And what Jesus told Peter would happen, in fact, happened. Peter goes and he denies his master. Not even one time, but three times, three separate occasions, he denies Jesus. The Gospel of Luke gives us kind of a little bit of a, of a clear picture. Gives us insight that he was following close enough to Jesus. Close enough that in that moment when he denied Jesus for the third time, that Jesus looked out at him and it's almost like their eyes met. And in that moment, Peter understood and felt the full weight of what he had done. And then one of the most bizarre things happens. Filled with shame and with regret, one of the key figures in the Gospels disappears. Peter goes completely AWOL. And we have no record of him whatsoever until after the resurrection. Peter's not there to defend Jesus before Pilate. He wasn't there to carry Jesus' cross. He wasn't there to die with Jesus like he promised. 
He wasn't even there to help take Jesus' body off the cross or prepare his body for burial. Peter denies Jesus. And then to make matters worse, he bails. I think sometimes we do the same thing in moments of failure. Maybe we make a mistake as a spouse or as a parent. Maybe that addiction rears its ugly head again and we fall hard. Maybe we find ourselves in a situation where we completely lack the faith that we know Jesus wants us to have. And we're filled with shame and with guilt. And we go into hiding. We choose to close ourselves off from people. We pull the covers over our head and we just want the world to go away. And in those moments, those feelings of being unqualified flood in and they overwhelm us. We think it may be over for us and we assume that things will never be the same. We don't really know what Peter thought in those dark moments when he betrayed Jesus. Maybe he thought he would never get the chance to start again. He had denied his Savior. He had made these promises to Jesus, and then he couldn't back them up. And now all hope was lost. His Savior was dead, and it was too late. And I'm sure those moments over the years where he's felt those feelings of being unqualified, now we're probably replaced with those feelings of being disqualified. But just a few days later, whatever room Peter was hiding in suddenly was busted open with the incredible news that Jesus was alive, that the impossible had happened. And Peter gets up out of whatever room he's in and he takes off towards the tomb. And he sees that the stone has been rolled away and he goes down into the tomb and he's holding the linens in his hand that had wrapped Jesus' body. He's probably walking away feeling so many mixture, a mixture of emotions and probably just a glimmer of hope. And then over the next few days, Jesus starts appearing to the disciples. We have two or three accounts after the resurrection where Jesus and Peter are together, where he sees the nail-scarred hands of his Savior. But we don't have any account of any dialogue between the two of them. And I'm sure it had to be incredibly awkward for Peter. But things finally come to a head in John chapter 21. Peter goes off and he does what he does best. He goes fishing. And the other disciples, they join him and they're out on the boat. And all of a sudden Jesus appears on the shore. And they don't know that it's Jesus. And he calls out to them and tells them to throw their nets on the other side of the boat. And when they do that and pull the nets in, it's full of fish. And all of a sudden, they realize that Jesus is on the shore. And so in classic Peter mode, 
he does something without thinking. And he jumps out of the boat and he starts swimming toward the shore. And maybe this is just me, but I read this story in, in John chapter 21. And it just starts making me laugh. Because he jumps out of the boat and basically leaves all the disciples there in the boat. And I'm sure they were thinking, hey, yeah, it's cool, Peter. Yeah, go ahead, man. You, you go ahead and swim over to Jesus. Hey, don't worry about us. We'll get this boat. We'll get all these fish. Yeah, you, it's cool, man. You go hang out with him. <clears throat> you, you, you're the one that denied him after all. <clears throat> you know, I don't know what was going on in that conversation. Maybe that's just me. But I'm sure at this moment, he's overwhelmed with this shame and this guilt. He had let Jesus down and Jesus knew it. And yet he just wanted to be close to his Savior. I'm sure he felt unworthy to be a follower of Jesus. I'm sure he was assuming that Jesus was just going to write him off altogether and give up on him. He probably thought that Jesus was just waiting for the perfect moment to say, I told you that you would deny me. Maybe we found ourselves in similar moments like that. Where we fall short and we make a mistake and we come to God fully expecting and waiting for God to say, I knew you would mess up. But that's not what Jesus does. In John chapter 21, starting in verse 15, Jesus has a much different reaction. It says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. I mean, this is such an incredible conversation. So many things that are going on. Jesus doesn't start out and ask him why he denied him. He doesn't ask Peter how much he cried. He didn't ask him if he's really sorry that he did this. What room he hid in all those last few days. I think Peter's, Jesus is able to look at Peter and realize that he's broken over what happened. Instead, Jesus asks a question to Peter that cuts right to the heart. Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? 
Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than, than your friends? Peter, do you love me more than your own brother, Andrew? Peter, do you love me more than you love these boats and these nets? Peter, do you love me more than your own life? I think that's the real question, isn't it? Do you love me? There are many moments in life that we will find ourselves in where Jesus will ask that same question of us. Where he will ask a question that falls in line with the greatest commandment. Do you love me with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind? Who do we love most? Why is it that we're following after Jesus? Are we doing it out of guilt or out of some kind of obligation? Are we following after Jesus because we love him with everything that we have? See, it always comes back to our heart and our affections. Jesus doesn't question our qualifications, but he will question our love. Because who we love at the heart level impacts everything else. And I think in this moment when he's asking Peter this, Jesus knows that there are going to be more difficult days ahead for Peter. And he had to make sure that he really had Peter's heart. Not only was Jesus about to forgive Peter, but he was also about to call him to a huge task in spreading the gospel. He was about to entrust a lot of people, a lot of sheep to his care. And so the question was repeated, Peter, do you love me? And each time that Jesus asked that question, it gave Peter an opportunity to evaluate his heart and to confirm his love and his commitment to Jesus all over again. And that's what Peter does. I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus asks this question of Peter the same number of times that Peter denied him. I think what Jesus is saying in this moment is, Peter, you're not just forgiven for one of those denials. You're forgiven for all of them. And then Jesus finishes up this incredible conversation with the same words to Peter that he said three years before when he first saw this unqualified fisherman in a boat. Follow me. And I love this so much. I love the picture that we get of the heart of our Savior. That Jesus in this moment is almost saying in spite of Peter's very public and disappointing mistakes that nothing has changed in Jesus' mind. Jesus didn't treat him as a criminal, but as a friend. Not as someone who deserved punishment but as someone who needed grace. 
And it was in that moment that Jesus gives Peter the invitation to start again. And it was that invitation and the empowering of the Holy Spirit just a little while later that would propel Peter to accomplish all those things that we talked about for God's kingdom. All those incredible things that Peter was able to do. And you and I look at this story and Peter's life and we say, how is it that Jesus could entrust the spreading of his kingdom to a guy who ran away when Jesus was arrested and then denied him in his darkest hour? And yet the truth is, Jesus does the same thing for you and me. See, God chooses to build his kingdom on the backs of unqualified people. The truth is we're not all that different from Peter after all. In his book, Jesus, A Pilgrimage, here's what James Martin says. He says, Jesus ultimately may have called Peter to lead the church because Peter was painfully conscious of his own weakness. He would never forget how far he fell, how much he failed. And so he would remember to rely on God's strength, not his own. How many of us must learn, sometimes multiple times, to acknowledge our weakness and to trust in God? So do you feel unqualified this morning? Maybe you find yourself this morning in that struggle that you just can't seem to get over. Maybe you felt like you've been starting again and again and again and yet you just can't seem to conquer it. Or maybe you don't feel qualified to lead your family or to minister to your neighbor next door or to lead a small group. But the amazing news is that God doesn't look at our qualifications. He's put you in those places. He's called you to those things. And he will qualify you for the job. In fact, in Christ, he already has. And no matter what yesterday looked like, Jesus gives you and I the invitation to start again. With this invitation that he gives us at the beginning of every new day. He says, follow me. I'd like to go ahead and invite our communion team to go ahead and come forward this morning. We're going to close out our service by taking part in communion. And communion is an opportunity for all of us to remember what Jesus has done for us. For you and I to be reminded of the fact that when we were unqualified to fix our sin, Jesus wasn't. And Jesus left heaven and he became obedient to death on the cross and he gave up his life and he took on our sin and our shame and he became our ransom so that we could be forgiven. 
Peter, in his letter to the church in 1 Peter, here's what he says in chapter 4, verse 12. Or excuse me, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. He says, For you know that God had paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom that he paid was not mere, not mere gold or silver, but it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Because Jesus became our ransom, you and I can experience freedom and life. And for any of us that come to a moment in our life where we put our faith and our trust in Jesus as Savior, then we get an opportunity to celebrate and to remember that sacrifice that Jesus made. The Bible commands us that we're to take moments like this very seriously. That the invitation is for those of us who have actually taken that step and put our faith and trust in Jesus. But we're also told that before we come and we take part in the elements that we confess any sin that may be in our life. And so what we would ask in this moment before everybody comes forward and, and, and remembers and celebrates communion is that we just take a moment or take a few moments or take however long you need. And maybe in that moment, you just want to reflect on some of the things that we've talked about. Maybe there's sin in your life that you need to confess. Maybe you need to confess some areas to God in which you need his strength and his help to start again. Maybe you've never come to a place in your life where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. And in this moment would be a perfect opportunity for you to take that step. And whenever we're ready, we're going to invite you to come and find the nearest communion team members. And then you can take that wafer that represents Jesus' body. And you can dip it into the juice that represents Jesus' blood. And you can eat and celebrate and remember what Jesus has done for us. Maybe you're watching online this morning and you can go over to your kitchen and find some Mountain Dew or some bread or whatever. And you can celebrate in that moment there at home and remember what Jesus has done for us. And after you've come and you've taken of the elements, then you can be dismissed and we hope you have a great day today. Let's pray together. God, we love you. God, we thank you for giving us such incredible pictures, stories in the Bible of men and women just like Peter. God, it's easy for us on the surface to look at Peter's life and to be frustrated with his very public moments of failure. And yet the truth is, God, for all of us, we are so like Peter. God, we have moments where we fall short. And God, the truth is every single day, we are so unqualified to follow after you. And yet, Jesus, by your grace, by your death on the cross, by your resurrection, you qualify us to follow after you. 
God, even in those moments where we fall short, God, you extend your grace to us and you give us that invitation to start again and to follow you all over. God, as we celebrate, as we remember communion, as we remember the sacrifice that you made, God, may we not take this for granted. God, may it challenge us as we walk out into this world to be the church that you've called us to be, knowing that you qualify us for that task and you empower us to accomplish these things that you've put before us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.